So today we are going to talk about God's forgiveness. Now today's message will be quite short. So if at the end of it you feel like, oh, that was really short, I didn't really get my money's worth, uh, please just uh, write on the communication card, I'd like my money back, please, and just drop that in the bucket as it comes around. Please give us your bank account details and we'll fix you up. Uh, but seriously, actually, today you, I think you will get your money's worth because as well as hearing from me, you'll also hear from somebody else. Who will that be? Well, you'll just have to stick around and find out. See, as preachers, that's how we get people to actually stay in the service. We give a little teaser about what's coming up. So God's forgiveness. Well, this is something that I think all of us need. Um, today we looked at this passage from 1 John chapter 3. And it's a powerful passage. Because, well, there's a lot we could say about God's forgiveness. And today we'll just look at one aspect. Uh, one thing I've learned uh, from being at Bible college is that when you plumb the depths of a passage of Scripture... There's way more in it than you ever realized. But today we'll just look at one aspect. And we'll look at some good news, some bad news, and then some good news. So looking at this passage, one of the first things we see is that as Christians, we are called children of God. So this is good news. We are children of God. And this is by God's grace. We are children of God, and this is by God's grace. What an honor this is, because... If we are children of God, this makes us brothers and sisters of Christ. Now, we are not worthy of this honor, but are granted it by God's grace. And we know this because it is by being saved that we become children of God, and it's our salvation, our being saved, is by God's grace. We know this from Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This actually is one of the key differentiating factors between Christianity and just about any other religion. Um, most other religions will tell you that the way to earn God's favor, the way to get to heaven, is by works. If you, in fact, I've had conversations with people where they think that if I do more good things than bad, then I'll get to heaven. That's the way to do it. It's kind of like a set of scales. You know? There's nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness. Nothing we can do to earn salvation. It is by God's grace. And as a result of this grace, we have fellowship with God. And this is direct fellowship, just as a child has direct fellowship with his or her earthly father. But, here's the bad news. This fellowship with God can be hindered, and it is the sin in our lives that does this. So here we have the bad news. Our fellowship with God is hindered by sin. But just a point of clarification here. In verse 6, we read that it says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. So is John here saying that what is required of us is sinless perfection? Because if so, I would fall woefully short of the standard. We all would. Thankfully, this is not what he's saying, as is shown in 1 John 1 Verse 8, where it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So what then is John meaning when he says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning? Well, he's, he's meaning simply that the believer's life is characterized not by sin, but by doing what is right. It captures the idea that for the believer, sin is abnormal and unnatural. His or her whole bent of life is away from sin. Yeah, we slip up sometimes, but our whole bent of life, of life is away from sin. 
So if you are struggling with sin in your life, you are in good company. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with sin. If we look in Romans chapter 7, it says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Um, I don't know about you, but I can certainly identify with that. By the way, when Paul refers to doing wrong and says, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me, he's not trying to uh, escape moral responsibility or absolve himself of any blame for, for his sin. Rather, he's making a statement of the great control that sin can have over the Christian's life. See, as Christians, we have two natures, our earthly sinful nature and our new regenerate nature that we get at conversion and that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as Paul indicates in this passage we just read, these two natures do not get along well. In fact, they are at war with each other. The Christian still experiences a genuine struggle with the flesh. Can anybody identify with that? And we overcome its impulses only by the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's put this in perspective. The Apostle Paul wrote about half of the New Testament, performed many miracles, He spread the life-changing message of the gospel to much of the known world of his day. And yet he struggled with sin. So we should not expect sinless perfection from ourselves. Now, I'm not saying this to excuse sin. After all, God hates sin, and so as believers, we should be cooperating with the work of God's Spirit in our lives to progressively eliminate our sin. So I'm not trying to in any way excuse sin, but I think it's important for us to realize that it is a part of our reality. It is part of our Christian experience. We don't stop sinning the moment we become Christians. So if that's the case, then this raises an important question. What should be our response? What should we do when we sin? Well, going back to 1 John, we see the answer. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that fantastic news? He will forgive us our sins and purify us. Some versions say cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is the second piece of good news we come to. Confession purifies us and restores our fellowship with God. Purifies us and restores our fellowship with God. But notice that this forgiveness is conditional. We must first confess our sins. So this means... Acknowledging our sin, not denying it or justifying it or rationalizing it or even minimizing it. Because as humans, we're often very good at doing that. See, in, uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, I understand one of the first things that you need to do is admit you're an alcoholic. Right? You can't be helped until you admit there's a problem. Imagine driving your car down the road and there's smoke billowing out and it's making loud clunking noises. Then you pull up the traffic lights and you see your mechanic in the car beside you. He winds down his window and he says, "Um, you know, I think your car needs some work. You should bring it in. And you say, no, no, my car's fine, all good. 
Well, that approach won't get you very far. It's only a matter of time until you have a breakdown. When it comes to cars, though, we don't seem to have difficulty admitting there's a problem. But when it comes to us, it's not so easy, because now it's personal. Right now, it's, it's about our character, and pride often gets in the way. Because when we acknowledge our failings, we're admitting imperfection. We're admitting weakness, and that's not very appealing to our prideful nature. <clears throat> and yet, as challenging as that is, this is exactly what we need to do. Because until we do, until we humble ourselves and come before God, our fellowship with Him will remain hindered, interrupted, and broken. But when we do humble ourselves before God and sincerely confess our sins, He is faithful to His promise and will forgive us, guaranteed. See, humans may break their promises, but God never does. Let's look again at that verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we do this and God forgives us, this restores the communion with Him that had been interrupted by sin. So what does this mean for us? Well, firstly, it means that there's no point in beating yourself up when you sin. Satan would love for you to stay focused on your sin and the guilty feelings that accompany it. He would love for you to stay wallowing in self-condemnation. Aaron talked about forgiving himself. It's not always an easy thing to do, but we need to let go of those feelings, otherwise we stay where we are. When you are consumed with guilt, you're unable to see what God wants to do in you and through you. You're so busy looking at the past, looking behind you at what you've done wrong, you're unable to look ahead at God's plan for your life or even to see the very next thing that he wants you to do, the very next step he wants you to take. You see, Satan knows that as long as he can keep you focused on that, your effectiveness in building God's kingdom is diminished. So God said through the prophet Isaiah, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Now in this context, Isaiah was referring to the restoration of Israel, the restoration of the nation, Israel. <clears throat> but what he said applies equally to us as we deal with our sin. Dwelling on it is not the answer and means that we may miss what God has in store for us. We simply need to confess our sins sincerely before God, learn from the mistake, there's always learning to be done, but then stop looking behind us and dwelling on a mistake and move on, move forward in Christ. You see, if God has forgiven us, if the creator and sustainer of the world has forgiven us, who is condemning us? No such condemnation is valid, so forget it. Ignore it. Satan will try to remind you of it. Something like, uh, huh, you call yourself a Christian, you did that. What kind of Christian are you? Some people may try to remind you of it. Again, ignore it and move on. You may even keep reminding and condemning yourself. Again, ignore it and move on. Look for the new thing God wants to do in your life. So the key point here is, don't focus on your past mistakes. Look ahead at the new thing God wants to do. Don't focus on your past mistakes. Look ahead at the new thing God wants to do. Let us pray. Father, we praise you for your glory, your perfection. Jesus, we praise you for the sinless life you led on earth, despite facing all the same temptations we do. Lord, we are not sinless. 
We fail. We fall short. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that it is guaranteed that you are indeed a faithful God, a God who keeps his promises. And thank you that when you forgive us, this purifies us and restores our fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.